Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. If you saw the title of this episode, you might think that my thinking around that leaders providing security is <clears throat> reminiscent of the movie Goodfellows or maybe even The Godfather, where the people would once say, you know, if you paid a little something, something to the to the local guys, nothing would happen. I mean, like say someone might want to, I don't know, burn down your place or rob you. It doesn't happen when, you know, when, when we're friends. Because you don't do friends. Like, that's not the kind of security I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about from that kind of concept, though, that if they didn't get taken care of in a payola way, then you would get taken care of in a bad way. There are leaders who still believe that security should look like that, that the kind of you take care of the big guy and the big guy will take care of you security really matters. But that's not the kind of security I'm talking about. In fact, I think you're going to like the kind of security I'm talking about even more because it's about mentoring and developing young leaders to become someone spectacular rather than controlling them in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And I know there are a whole lot of people who feel like if the leadership isn't on your side, then things are going to go bad for you. And there's probably some truth to that. There are a lot of places, relationships, careers, career pathways that if you are in the know, if you are in the inner circle, you can advance as far as you want to. But if you're not in the inner circle, there's kind of a cap anyway. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how competent you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. If you're not part of the inner circle, you're not going past a certain level. It's just as simple as that. Opportunity doesn't exist for you if you're not in the inner circle. Now, I know that sounds a little obnoxious, maybe even to some uh, trite or manipulated or like systemic racism. And in many cases, systemic racism does reveal itself in an exact kind of way to that. Meaning, if you're not the right skin color, the right educational background, didn't graduate from the right college, then your chances here are slim to none. I mean, you could get the job, but you'll never get past a certain level. You could get the job, but you'll never get the security clearance. You'll get the job, but You'll never be invited to all those special meetings. Even people who get the job and get the promotion and get moved into those top levels are often left out of the communication. They're kind of wedged out, boxed out, if you will, of what's really going on. That's not security in a job. That creates a whole lot of insecurity. And by insecurity, I don't mean like you feel like you're in unsafe, although that may be the case in some instances. I mean, you just don't feel like you're in the know, which makes you question yourself. It makes you lack confidence in what you're doing. It makes you wonder, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I working where I'm supposed to? Am I really competent at this job? Now, I can tell you that sometimes that's a matter of the way the hierarchy has established itself. I was listening to Jordan Peterson the other day talking about hierarchies, and he said, you know, the, the hierarchy is not what most people want you to think it is. 
and there are hierarchies that we absolutely need and must protect in society. But he said the problem is most people, when they think of any hierarchy, they instantly think the hierarchy of power. It's not all about power. But he said the one hierarchy that we want to maintain is the hierarchy of competence. Well, what the heck is that? Well, the hierarchy of competence says, <clears throat> if I'm going to have brain surgery for my mom, I want the best possible doctor, not the one that was hired because of their skin color or their education or the college they went to, but the one who has performed the surgery the most successfully the most number of times. That's the person that I want doing a brain surgery for my mom. Well, am I being a racist? No, I'm being particular about my mom. I want the best service I can get. If, I'm, if I've got a toothache, I want the best dentist I can afford to pay for. Not the one that meets all the criteria of, of special interest. I want the one who's the best at what they do. And it should be the same across all businesses and all services, unfortunately. If you've been to a fast food restaurant in the last three to five years, you realize that sometimes those employees that are selected are there because of the lowest common denominator. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a fast food restaurant where I have to place my own order through the digital iPad stuck on the wall or the little kiosk. And then when I turn around to wait for a drink cup, they look at me like I have three heads because I've already placed my order, but they haven't delivered it yet. And when I ask for a cup, they're like, it'll come with a meal. Then when they put the meal up there, there's not a cup on the tray. I ask for a cup. They're like, didn't you get that when you ordered? I'm like, no, I placed the order myself. I still don't have a drink cup. And they get an attitude as if I'm being rude to them because I'm frustrated. That is not a hierarchy of competence. But it does, in their mind, scream a hierarchy of power and privilege because I have expectations. I don't know if you've listened to some of the I believe it's James Lindsay that's been uh, on a tour, so to speak, about his new book. He's talking about the origins of some of the things that are currently being pushed in our society that change the way we look at one another. And he points out some really valid facts about how societies are dismantled. And it seems to be cyclical. Every hundred years or so, we've got to go through this process again. But you'll notice that leaders who are competent in their circle, competent in what they do, they've made it successful, financially speaking, at the top of their game and whatever it is that they do, whether they're doctors or lawyers or athletes, when they're at the top of their game, they surround themselves with a certain kind of people. In fact, I was listening to an interview with a gentleman that some of you may know by the name of Andrew Tate. And somebody asked him, a former special forces guy asked him, you know, how do you discern who you let in your inner circle? I mean, you got a lot of money. You like to go out and party. There's a whole lot of people that would love to go out and party on your dime. How do you decide who you let in your inner circle? And he gave a list of criteria of, well, you got to be like this and you got to be like this and you got to be like this or you don't get included in the inner circle. And one of the comments that was made was, well, you know, from time to time, you being a world champion kickboxer, I'm sure people want to challenge you. They want to test you. They want to see if their skills match up. He said, does, does that ever happen? He said, oh, usually they pick on somebody in our circle. Uh, they start something with somebody in our circle to see how we're going to react. <clears throat> and he said, 
well, what, what's, the, uh, what's the normal reaction? He said, well, you know, we want to avoid violence at every opportunity, but, you know, if you got to, you got to. He said, so how do you decide who's in that inner circle <clears throat> based on that? He said, the criteria is really simple. Not being able to fight is one thing. We'll train you. Not being willing to fight, you're not going to last five seconds in this circle. If you've got a big mouth and you're not willing to stand up behind it, you're not going to be in this circle. Okay, now when we're talking about security, we're not talking about the guys in black coats standing back in the corner making sure that you stay safe. We're not talking about the idea of burning down your building if you don't pay up. And we're not talking about the big guy protecting you from the ills that might come against you if you're not playing nice according to his rules. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about <clears throat> this lovely little book by John Maxwell, Mentoring 101. On page 88, he says it like this. Mentoring leaders provide security. Quote, people are never more insecure than when they become obsessed with their fears at the expense of their dreams. <clears throat> Let me say that again. That is a powerful truth. Norman Cousins actually said this. People are never more insecure than when they become obsessed with their fears at the expense of their dreams. People who focus on their fears don't grow. They become paralyzed. Leaders are in a position to provide followers with an environment of security in which they can grow and develop. A potential leader who feels secure is more likely, you ready? Write these down, to take risk, to try to excel, to break new ground, and to succeed. To take risk, to try to, try to excel, to break new ground, and to succeed. Mentoring leaders make their followers feel bigger than they are, and soon the followers begin to think, act, and produce bigger than they are. Finally, they become what they think they are. That's good stuff. Henry Ford said, one of the greatest discoveries a man makes, one of his greatest surprises is to find that he could do what he was afraid he couldn't do. A mentoring leader provides security. A potential leader needs to make that discovery. <clears throat> so let's go back to what we mean by security. See, it's real easy to feel like I've got to protect them. I've got to defend them. I've got to provide a ring of, of security around them. And that's not really what we're talking about. What we're really talking about is that internal personal belief system. I believe that I can. Henry Ford also once said, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Why? Because you will perform to the level of your own thought about yourself. If you think you're a failure, guess what you're gonna do? If you think I can pull this off, guess what you're gonna do? But see, the mentoring leader has the willingness to move the spotlight long enough to say, it's your time to shine. I'm gonna let you shine. I'm gonna encourage you to shine. In fact, I'm gonna let you take risks that you normally wouldn't take, where the consequences won't be so high. I'm gonna let you take a chance. I'm gonna encourage you to take a chance. I want you to get out of the boat so you can walk on the water. I want you to take a risk so you can discover a new thing. I want you to overcome your fear with a few small successes until the fear is gone. I don't want you to forget about your dreams. I don't want you to give up on your future. Now, all of these things come together in that space where the leader of the circle is so confident and so competent that they can look at the people around them and not feel threatened by their success. So competent and so confident that they, they know if you try and it looks like you're about to fail, I can, I can help you out a little bit. 
I remember teaching my kids to ride a bicycle. One of them, when I was training to, to apply for a job at the fire department, after I got enough off of active duty, hadn't been in shape as well as I was when I was on active duty as a firefighter. And I was applying for DFW airports fire department, pretty intense because it's all three jobs, police, fire, and medic. And as I was getting ready for that exam, I would run three miles a day. At the time, my oldest son was just learning to ride a bicycle. And he would get on his bicycle with training wheels on it and we would take off down the side of the road. Now this was a road with no shoulder, <clears throat> no bike lane, no sidewalk, and the edge of the asphalt sometimes was just a straight drop off of four or five inches. And my little guy would take off beside me and he wanted to ride his bike as far as I ran. He usually didn't get the three miles and we'd get about half a mile and I'd take him back to the house and run that half again. But on many occasions, he'd get just a little too close to the edge of that asphalt. <clears throat> and if that training wheel tipped too far to that way, that's about a 10 inch drop from the training wheel to the dirt. And he would fall over and it would scare him and he didn't want to get back up again. But I would convince him, we got to get the bike home. We're going to either push it home and walk or you can get back on it and ride and we'll just have to ride a little further from the edge of the street. But there were a couple of times that he'd get the training wheels caught on something and the big wheel wouldn't, wouldn't move the bike. It would have been really easy to say, you know what, forget it. We're not going to ride the bike. We're not going to take the bike. In fact, you stay home. Now, that's not the kind of security that a mentoring leader provides. A mentoring leader says, yep, we had a disaster last time. Yep, it didn't work out quite the way we planned last time. But you know what? Today's a new day. We have a new opportunity. Let's take the same risk again. Let's see what happens this time. Let's try it again. If you've ever taught anybody how to ride a bicycle and you let them go for as long as you think they can handle it and then you catch them again just to make sure they don't get hurt and then you let them go again. This is a repeated cycle and in every leadership mentoring relationship, it's going to be the same thing. Whether it's taking the microphone or taking the helm of a meeting or driving a new product to the market, every one of those risks are opportunities that a leader needs to prove to themselves that they're capable that they're competent. John Maxwell also says, see everybody as a 10. Believe in them before they believe in themselves. Give them the confidence that you have in them. Loan them some confidence, loan them some competence. Let them take a risk at doing something until they prove they can. Once they've proven they can, their whole perspective about life will change. Um, Maybe you got to guard them a little bit. You got to protect them from the outside people who would be naysayers. You got to give them the courage to do what right now terrifies them to do. But as a leader, as a mentor, you're uniquely qualified and uniquely positioned to do that. And you should. So I want to challenge you as leaders, take the time to develop the people who are following you, developing those that are potential leaders for the future is the greatest legacy you'll ever leave. John Maxwell says it regularly. I didn't come to lead 10,000 leaders or followers. I came to lead a thousand leaders who will lead a thousand leaders who will lead a thousand leaders. That's a much greater legacy than amassing a large number of people who barely pay attention. Empower those around you to become leaders in their own right. Competent, confident leaders, willing to take a risk to try on a new thing to do something they've never done before and to discover in themselves the greatest possibilities to make their dreams come true. You are the greatest source of resource for them to do that. Take the time to do that today. It's not all about you. Sometimes it's about the leader you develop. 
I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Hi, my name is Christina Knowles, and I just got done taking Jay Lauren's Story Power Masterclass. It was amazing. I took away so much information. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed being formally trained in media many, many years ago is the call to action. I will use that with every speaking engagement, and I'm so grateful that Lauren just um, spoke truth into his teachings, and he is a true professional. And I know this might sound weird, but I've been taking certifications in different classes over the years, and Lauren is not boring. I can't even believe I got here at nine, and then the class went by so fast that I was like, it's time to go already? And I was shocked that it was time to go already. So it's an awesome class. You're going to enjoy it, I promise. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time.